I was, I was, I was kind of into health and fitness and, and, and training, and I was going to the gym and a couple of friends who were also going to the gym. Uh, this was 2009, 10, and at that time, uh, people, you know, people wanted to use supplements and people like they're using right now. Uh, but one of the things that was going on, um, a lot of my friends were saying, well, I need, I'm out of like protein, I'm out of pre-workout, I'm out of this or that, and can I borrow some of yours? And I realized that, well, they're not like, they're not ordering their stuff on time because most people realize they're out of protein like two, three, four days before they're out. And this, there was no Amazon Prime, there was no, uh, people don't have a car to go to a GNC or to a local supplement store. And this was a huge problem. Long story short, I was like, okay, well, this can be probably easily solved. And what I did is I called a distributor and I didn't have the cash to buy all that inventory. So I, I said, can I do net 30, which basically means you buy the product, they ship it to you, but you don't pay 30 days after receipt. And they said, okay, well, why not? So they shipped me this, all this product. Um, I'm in my dorm room. There's no place in my dorm room. Like there's, we're literally stacked with protein and, and all this stuff. And we're sleeping on the floor. The entire bed is full with all these bottles. And basically what I did is I, I taught myself in a really horrible way how to make a website. And uh, I made a website and on the website you could order all this stuff. But instead of four day delivery or six day delivery or 20, you know, I don't know, whatever, two week delivery, whatever that was at the time, I offered 20 minute delivery. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, I am so excited to share today's guest. Well, it's Pretty, spelt Pratty, but uh, Pretty has been extremely successful as a young entrepreneur. Only 28 years of age, he already built a real estate empire that controls $100 million worth of real estate. And I said, what? 28 years of age. He you want to listen to his story. He came all the way from Europe, no family, um, to the US, and then started a little micro business out of his dorm room using his bicycle as the delivery system. I'm not gonna take away the story. You need to listen to, sorry, I'm telling you what to do. Need to listen to the podcast so that you can get his whole story and his energy and what he's doing. And just encouraging others to take a step, take action to go to the next level to see what is possible. And so I'm sure that you will find, and I'm hopeful that you will find, uh, Pretty's show as encouraging. Now, as part of this, one of Pretty's businesses is he's now into a health business. And I know that we've mentioned this in a couple other ones, but I just wanna promote as part of CRG being the sponsor of this podcast, our uh, stress indicator and health planner assessment. And this is a pre-post where you can take it now and take it a year from now and say, have you changed? Have you adjusted? We have now recently updated it 100%. And what is, you know, if you don't have health, what do you have? And so just take, consider that if you have an organization and you're looking about a wellness program or a project, then think about the stress indicator and health planner as 120 questions, five different categories. We break it down into little bites so that you can take action on it. Now, as always, thank you for listening. Much appreciated. You're taking your most valuable commodity, your time. We'd appreciate it if you have a chance to share, pass it on, leave a positive comment or rating on whatever platform you are listening on. So here's today's show with our successful entrepreneur. Well, today I'm very excited about our guest because he's young and successful and really has cleared a path 
for many people that are listening to be encouraged by his story, what's possible. I mean, he actually has his company where, according to his bio, he's got $100 million in real estate holdings already. And the last time I checked, he was only 12 years old. Well, actually, that's not completely true. So, Preddy, and Preddy, how do we say your last name correctly? Uh, correctly, it's uh, Tawari. Tawari. Yes. So, Preddy Tawari, welcome to SOS. Ken, it's a real pleasure uh, to be on, and you know my, my my goal today is to really be able to shed some light on my story. But you know, like I always say, when I'm coming on podcasts and doing interviews, it's not really about my story; it's about the listeners' stories, and hopefully that they can take away one thing from listening to this episode, and that they can apply it to their life and providing value. That that's why I'm here. So um, I'm I'm super excited to be able to do that, man. Well, uh, thank you for spending time with us. And obviously, you've created value if you've been so successful at a young age. So how old are you now? Sorry, we're, uh, now at the time of recording, so somebody could be listening to this at 2075, so you might be slightly older now. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I am uh, 28, uh, and it is 2019, so. Well, there we go. So the, we've anchored the date uh, for in hourglass time capsule forever. So congratulations on all the success that you've had. And as we do on SOS, we try to kind of go back to people's story a little bit before we get into, you know, you have a healthcare company, but you also have real estate holdings and really helping people to understand what's possible and where they can go in the success. And hopefully your success doesn't intimidate people. That really is an encouragement to them. But uh, where did you uh, grow up and what's sort of your family story? Yeah, so I actually didn't grow up in the States. I grew up in Europe. I was born in the Netherlands, so I am actually uh, originally Dutch. And um, I moved around quite a bit because my dad kept uh, switching jobs. So I moved around in Europe quite a bit. I lived um, most of my life in, in Germany and then in Switzerland. And then right before college, I actually ended up coming to the States. I came to Boston and uh, yeah, I went to college here and I went to law school here in Boston as well. So I recently graduated law school about a year and a half ago. Okay, so you, you do have your law degree. Yes. Just for fun, right? In spite of all this other <laughs> stuff you took. But let's just back up a bit. What did your dad do that he was traveling so much? Yeah, so that is an interesting story. He actually um, wanted to become a, a doctor. So he um, was taking a lot of pre-med stuff. And like a lot of people who take pre-med, they realize it's not really for them. So um, he, um, he and my mom got married really young. And um, they had me when they were really young. So you still... Uh, in school and grad school, and then he right, kind of decided that it wasn't really for him, and he wanted to go into business and into healthcare and and and, and pharmaceutical space, um, using business and some some of his uh, you know degree that he had in, uh, in in medicine. And so him taking that switch um, basically made him you know go from company to company within Europe in, in the pharmaceutical space, especially in biotech. So that was really um, you know kind of what propelled us to move around. Uh, quite a bit uh, throughout Europe. Um, Europe is great because it's it's very small, um, and you know you you go. I mean, even now when I go back, I have to get acclimated because I've been here for quite a bit. And you know, you're driving for like 20, 30 minutes, and since there's no borders anymore, um, you know, you full gas, and then you go like 20 minutes later, they speak a totally different language and totally different culture, and uh, which is really cool. So you get um, a lot of exposure to different cultures and languages uh, there, even mm -hmm. though it's so small. So moving around a lot was definitely a big, uh, big part of my life, and de definitely helped instill in me just a lot of the a lot of the things that I use in business uh, today. But yeah, that's what kind of what my dad did. Well, and of course, appreciation for the different cultures I've been through. 
a long time ago, before you were even born, uh, took the ferry hook von Holland and uh, went through there. My family actually of origin is from Hungary. So we're nearly related is what the deal is. <laughs> so that's great. So then they're in Germany. So what, what really drove you for the decision to come to the U.S.? Yeah, How did that so, happen? Yeah, so the big, the, the big thing for me was um, I was, I was kind of um, – you know, Europe is fantastic. I was growing up in, in, I was in Switzerland at the time, and I always felt that kind of the things that I wanted to do, which was, you know, whether it's something in business or I, I knew I wanted to do something bigger, and I felt like, um, kind of like a lot of the stories really go, people who immigrate here, they feel like, um, you know, there it's, it's awesome. You have a lot of, there's a lot of uh, great things uh, there, and people are very content, but just being able to, to make like bigger success and bigger dreams, and I felt like it, it just is not something that's really fostered there, and I wanted to come to the States. So when I got an opportunity to come here um, and to go to school uh, and to college, I, I found an opportunity, and that was my, like, I, I knew that I had to get and jump on that opportunity as soon as I could. So that was really, for me, I, I knew that the U.S. was going to be a stepping stone for what I wanted to do in my life, which was the kind of success that I hope to attain, which is basically be able to provide a lot of value potentially go into entrepreneurship or business, but, you know, the question always is, well, did you know back then that you were going to have all these businesses and, and all that? Uh, not really. It wasn't like a, a planned thing, but I knew that I wanted to do something bigger than mm -hmm. what I Right, for sure. Now, just back up for a second, because you know, this podcast is listened to all around the world, now mostly North America, but all around the world. When you said that it's not this sort of entrepreneurial spirit was not fostered as much in Europe. Explain that for those people who don't know that mindset. Yeah, I think in, in, in Europe, um, especially in Western Europe and in Northern Europe, like I, th I feel like the ethos there is more um, collectivist and it's more about, you know, the society and, 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 and bringing back society and welfare. And there's a lot of good things about that uh, when it comes to having a social safety net for a lot of people that can be, can be really good. But if you're someone who's trying to make your, forge your own path or you want to, for instance, say, hey, I want to be an entrepreneur or start a business and I'm like 19, 20, 24, 25, the stuff that we hear people doing here, like if you would say that there, people would look at you thinking like you have like three heads, like it's not something you really do over there. Um, so even the word like startup, um, I think now people know what that is, but back you know, two, three years ago, people had never heard of that word. Like, it's not something you do. There are still a lot of glass ceilings there. Um, as in, you just don't, you don't, you, you don't go like to start a business. You don't, there's no such thing there. Um, there's no, people don't really invest in like the stock market. There's no, that's not foster there. I think there, what's fostered is being satisfied, being happy, um, taking care of the society and the community. And again, <clears throat> that could, that, that has a lot of benefits to it too. Um, but I feel like what I wanted to do, um, which was to scale and to provide value at the level I wanted. It's just not something that's fostered there at all. It's just mm -hmm. not the culture. It's just not part of the culture. In one of my books, uh, Pretty Wheat, I talked about that where most people don't realize, especially U.S. and Canada, that in Europe is that being an entrepreneur is almost like a second-class citizen in some spaces. Oh, yeah, for sure, 100%. If you say that, it's like uh, not, it's just not something you really do and people don't understand. Like they don't know what it is even, so... Yeah. <laughs> it's, which is quite shocking at this time where we are here at 2019. I could get that maybe 30 years ago, but now with all the things that are going on, it is a bit surprising. So that being said, what kind of courage or opportunity occurred for you to cross the water? You said you, you, you know, got a chance to come to school here, but how'd that happen? 
Yeah, so um, it was really just an, um, it was through um, my high school um, and uh, basically there was an opportunity to get come here through a scholarship uh, to go to uh, college here in the States and it was a really super rigorous uh, application process uh, but uh, yeah I took the, the leap of faith and there's actually a story to that it's uh, you know when I was trying to apply to it I was like man this is gonna be it's gonna be brutal like there's so many people that probably want to apply and I remember mm -hmm. um, I was actually discouraged from applying from a lot of people um, in, in my school. They're like, there's no way, like, you don't, you know, potentially don't have the, that, those type of grades, and, you know, this recommendation, you don't have that. And I remember they had an orientation where I was living at the time, and um, I was like, I'm just going to go. Like, I'm, just, I'm still going to go, even though everyone's telling me not to go, and it's going to be so competitive. And what's funny, so I go there in the auditorium, and there were, like, it was a huge auditorium. Like, it was, it was like, two floors would see like hundreds of people and I come there and like there's barely anyone there I think there were like six or seven people there and uh I was like oh and it, probably... and, it seats, and it seats hundreds or thousands oh yeah it was a two-floor uh two-story uh, auditorium and I was like oh okay I guess I I'm here on the wrong date or something's wrong um and um and then basically I, I just sit and I was about to leave and then there's a this lady comes on stage and she was like all right guys um Thanks all for coming. Um, you know, we uh, one of the things that we struggle with is that most people don't even apply. Uh, so all of you guys, um, you know, you guys are automatically enrolled, uh, and we want to give you guys the opportunity for the next round. Um, and that's how I basically got in. And so the story, why I tell that story, is because most people think some things are so difficult that they don't even apply. Um, mm. and, and so I knew a lot of people who wanted the opportunity, but they just didn't show up. And, uh, and I did, I just went there anyways, uh, besides thinking, Hey, maybe I don't have the grades, maybe I don't have this or that. Um, but coming there allowed me to go into the second round and then, you know, finally get uh, accepted. But that was, I think the big stepping stone is like when something sounds super difficult, uh, and challenging, I think most people just take themselves out of competition themselves. It's not even their competitors or people that are other people that are bringing them out is their own mind. They're just like, Hey, I'm not even going to compete. And that's self selection that you're doing that. Well, there there was a statement that goes years ago to a speaker. He said, you know, 80% is just showing up. So if you just show up, you already have an advantage because there's lots who hadn't. So that's your encouragement to everybody else is that if you don't try, if you don't show up, you don't even know. hundred uh, percent. Yeah, you got you got to go for things, right? And that's really become when I when I when I speak or when I have you know when I have things coming on Instagram or have my newsletter. I think that's the biggest thing. I I don't never tell people about there's something external that they need to find another tool or they need to take the supplement to really feel better or anything like that. Like all the tools to really succeed, um, they're all out there and all the things that you're trying to amplify is like, it's already within you. Like, it's just, are you going to be a little bit more courageous? Are you not, are you going to say, Hey, I'm just going to go there anyways. Um, so all the stuff is already within you, but there's tools that we can use to amplify that, but it's all there. Like it, it's just small things can go a big way. And, I think one of the things uh, coming from Europe where there isn't like a big startup scene at all and there's no entrepreneurship, you don't know what's possible and what's not possible, like what you can do. So when I even came here and I started my first business, I didn't know like certain things are difficult. Like I didn't know what's difficult and what's not difficult. So you just do everything and then, and it's surprisingly, you know, you end up succeeding in many ways because you don't have any self-imposed limitations. Mm, fair enough. Now, when you came from Europe to here, what were some of the culture shock or nuances that you needed to adjust to or were surprising or you would just share with the audience? Yeah, um, I think a big thing uh, when I came here was really the uh, 
uh, like uh, speaking and networking, people tend to be, um, and, and I know some people disagree with me on this, but that was at least my experience. People are a little bit more friendlier here and people engage in small talk. So one of the things, uh, like you'd walk on the street and I'd recognize someone, they would say, what's up? And I didn't know what that meant. I was like, what's up? Like where, like where am I supposed to look? And uh, I, we, we have, we're not used to people asking how you're doing, like, like, and you're not supposed, and I was like, oh, I, I'm supposed to give like this long answer about like what I did in my weekend. But then they, you say, what's up? And you keep, you keep walking. You, you just, and the other person says, hey, what's up? And then, but you don't actually, you, you're not actually interested in the answer. You're just supposed to walk like, <laughs> and just walk away. Um, so that was a really strange thing. Cause uh, in Europe, uh, you go to stores or something. Um, and you go to restaurants, there's no tipping system. So you don't tip like you can, but it's not, it's already in the bill. So right. service is not a big thing there. So like you won't go to a restaurant, you won't go anywhere where people are actually going to engage in small talk. Whereas, you know, I went here, I used to go to a grocery store and people were like, Oh, thanks honey. Or, and I was like, well, why would she say that to me? Like, why, why would someone say that? You know, like, so, um, it was like a lot of the small talk nuances, which I had to definitely get used to. Um, but now I've, uh, I really embraced those cause I, I actually appreciate that much more than in Europe where people are definitely more cold. Mm. Well, well, thank you for that insight for somebody that's coming. Cause you're not usually, you, you don't have an accent that anybody would figure it out where you're from to start with for sure. And right. now that being said, what was your degree that you were starting with? Now you finished your law degree. And so now you are, are you a licensed lawyer? Yeah. So I am a licensed lawyer. Uh, and, uh, I wanted to practice. So basically I went to a lot people ask me why would I go to law school? Cause I already had a lot of businesses while I was in college. And I actually realized that my biggest hurdles in, in business were not, and that I was facing at the time weren't really business based questions were actually legal questions. So thinking about contracts and negotiation, um, and, um, kind of that aspect. So my focus has always been in transactional law mm. in my concentration. So whether it's acquiring, acquiring or, 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 um, you know, selling companies like the entire contracts and mergers and, and all the stuff that's involved in that aspect. So that's been my focus. Um, but the legal degree, um, although I'm not practicing it as an attorney, I'm not going to court, but it's served me so well, uh, especially for the stuff mm -hmm. that I do on a day to day basis, whether it's with compliance or, um, when it, through acquisitions or things like that. Well, there's lots of lawyers that never go to court where they're sure. doing corporate documents and shareholders and advice and IP right. and trademarks and all these kinds of things, which we need out there. And as an IP company, of course, we realize the importance of that. So you come to the U.S., you're going to school. Where did the first business come from? What was it? Yeah, the first business uh, came from me just listening to people. Uh, and that's where you find the best businesses, uh, ideas, I guess. And, and, and uh, yeah, it was pretty simple. I was, I was, I was kind of into health and fitness and, and, and training. And I was going to the gym and a couple of friends who were also going to the gym. Uh, this was 2009, 10. And at that time, uh, people, you know, people wanted to use supplements and people like they're using right now. Uh, but one of the things that was going on, um, a lot of my friends were saying, well, I need, I'm out of like protein, I'm out of pre-workout, I'm out of this or that, and can I borrow some of yours? And I realized that, well, they're not like, they're not ordering their stuff on time because most people realize they're out of protein like two, three, four days before they're out. And this, there was no Amazon Prime, there was no, uh, people don't have a car to go to a GNC or to a local supplement store. And this was a huge problem where people just didn't have supplements for a long time. Uh, so long story short, I was like, okay, well this can be probably easily solved. And uh, what I did is I called a distributor and the distributor basically has a lot of products from brands and they sell at a wholesale. Uh, you need a wholesale account with those distributors. And they were like, okay, well, wh what do you want? And I was like, Hey, I want all these, I want X amount of protein. I want, and I was ordering wholesale. 
and they're like, well, who are you? Like, what is this? And I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to be a reseller. Um, and I didn't have the cash to buy all that inventory. So I, I said, can I do net 30, which basically means you buy the product, they ship it to you, but you don't pay 30 days after receipt. And they said, okay, well, why not? So they shipped me this, all this product. Um, I'm in my dorm room. There's no place in my dorm room. Like there's, we're literally stacked with protein and and all this stuff and we're sleeping on the floor the entire bed is full with all these bottles and basically what i did is i i taught myself in a really horrible way how to make a website and uh i made a website and on the website you could order all this stuff but instead of four day delivery or six day delivery or 20 you know i don't know whatever two week delivery or whatever that was at the time i offered 20 minute delivery so um, basically just on campus so anyone who was on campus who needed protein or anything that we had that i had in my dorm uh, i had a bike and I would bike and hand them over what they wanted. Now, I realized that people would pay a massive premium for instant delivery. And, and obviously, Amazon figured that out uh, you know, shortly after with Amazon Prime. People pay a lot extra for it. Um, but this was 20-minute delivery, and people would pay almost like the total value of the product people would pay for just the 20-minute delivery on top of it. So, um, yeah, this became a massive success uh, doing, doing this, that. And that so, was, yeah, wow, yeah. I just could imagine you had a bicycle – and you have all this inventory stacked in your dorm room. Now, what did you do when you weren't in school for those four months? Did you move your move to a different location or something, or what? Yeah. So for um, so for months like during during summers or or, or downtimes, we would um, I would have leave them at like other friends who were living off campus. Uh, so who had uh, so we would just literally move around like bottles and stuff. But it was really the 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 thing here is like it was. It was the idea was I listened to someone who people who had a problem and I was like, okay, can I solve this? And what's the quickest way in which I can test if this idea works or not? And so and I did it. And I think literally within I think it was like 13, 14 days I had a website and I was processing orders uh, and it was super brute force. So it wasn't like a very sophisticated website. This was before like there was any like Shopify or any of that stuff was really popular. Uh, so it was all like people were paying cash or card and, and stuff like that. It was kind of, uh, kind of, uh, <laughs> very, well, that's um, amazing. I yeah, mean, I yeah. have that. And so just to get a merchant account, get it all set up and do all that work. And then you had your products. Well, that's a pretty cool story. I mean, we've all heard the stories of the college student like Facebook or Dell or Gates <laughs> and how they started their business yeah. out of their dorm room. So there you go with yours as well. Pretty cool. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's it was definitely cool. Um, listening to people and being able to serve their needs and then, scaling that and, and it was cool because like I always uh, tell people is like you don't you don't you, you don't have to be like the biggest like people think like success in business means you need to be be like Bill Gates and and, this, and all those guys and that's phenomenal if you can do that that's awesome but just doing that on campus and getting known as someone who is being able to deliver and like created a business and able to deliver on their promises like that alone started people talking about it on campus and that then allowed me to get in, involved in other businesses because when other people on campus had business ideas, they came to me for it. Um, and that was really cool. So being competent and, and fulfilling what you say you're going to do, and even at a very small scale, like, you know, at sometimes in the beginning, we we're doing like processing like 20, 30, you know, orders a week. It wasn't crazy, but people saw that we're doing it. We started it and we were, we were not going out of business. That alone was People say, oh, you're competent. You actually have done something, and that allowed me to do other things down the line. Great. Now, how, how did you scale it? Did you get, like, a second bike or something? Yeah, so uh, that's, exactly, that's exactly what I did. Because, well, I started in my sophomore and stuff year. I had to, especially during finals, like, I had to study, and I couldn't process all the orders. It was, like, too much for me to bike all the time because I was doing it alone with my friend. And then basically what we did is we used to hire 
uh, freshmen and younger, you know, younger people at college uh, who would bike, and we just got more bikes, and they would deliver it for us after a while. So while I wasn't, I was going to class, and then uh, they would deliver it, and so we had set up a whole delivery service, and it stayed, but it stayed just in the few mile radius that was at, at the on campus. So, um, yeah, but yeah. What, what did the the deans or the person in charge of dorms did they ever say anything to you about you, you need to stop this, or what did they say? No, they, it was actually totally fine because people were just, it's like any packages that were coming in. So, um, you know, people order packages all the time or the parents send them stuff and then you come down and you collect it. So that's all we used to do. So um, it did spark a lot of interest because there were so many bikers going back and forth, with like protein uh, bottles. And we didn't have like, in the beginning, we didn't have like fancy equipment to actually, you know, put it in nice boxes and wrap it or anything like that. So we would just put it in plastic bags and stuff. So uh, it was kind right. of, uh, it was kind of something. In the beginning, people, uh, some of the security was like, what, what is all this powder and all this stuff? But it was totally fine. So it is a fun story. It's a fun story. So yep. here you are, you're on campus, you've started this entrepreneurial business. Then you said other people started to talk with you. Now in your bio, you says that you have all these, this real estate holdings. Now where yep. does that come from in just 10 years? I mean, it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, this basically started, so I had, uh, I had this business and after a, a little bit, um, I actually decided to, to, to sell my stake, uh, in this business. And I, my, my, my thing always has been with business is, you know, I like, I love it and I, and I like it and I think it's great, but I, I knew that there's always timing with everything and I, I wanted to basically monetize and then do, and then go into do something else. So I had actually sold this venture and I had then started getting into, other types of businesses, especially in e-commerce, because they were kind of growing uh, at the time. And long story short, I had a little bit of capital that I had in my bank, and I knew, um, you know, I was reading a tons of investing books and, and stuff like that, and I knew that if you want to do something bigger in entrepreneurship, you need more capital. And I was like, you can't really save your way to wealth. That was like always my thing that I knew. Um, and I was like, well, what's the best way to start investing, uh, to, you know, to use that money instead of having it lie in, in, the, in the bank account. And I figured out that potentially the best way would be through real estate because one of the issues that I was having is that I still, I wanted to finish my degree, obviously, and I wanted to graduate. I had the goals of going to law school. So my grades had to be on point. Like it wasn't something where I was going to be, I didn't want to be a dropout. That was not something mm -hmm. that I would want to stand for. So my issue was, okay, well, I want to do something more, but my, I only have X amount of time. So how am I going to do that? So I try to find ways in which I could generate passive income, I guess, like they call it. And one of the best ways that allowed me to do that was through real estate. So I started looking at um, condos and, and smaller properties, multifamily properties that were being rented out to college students. Um, and this idea came to me uh, when I was visiting a couple of my friends off campus after I had left my dorm and I would see the rents they were paying were was absolutely ridiculous, and then the the places they were living is living in were also absolutely ridiculous. There was no effort done by the landlord. It was kitchens were a mess. It was an absolute disaster, and these kids were paying massive amounts to live there. And I I realized like this is crazy because I'm assuming the landlord hadn't been there for like literally like a year at least, or had never even. And but they were collecting a check, so. I started getting involved in buying uh, real estate that I could rent out to college students. Now, how did you qualify for loans and stuff like that? If you, where did that come from? Is, you know, somebody's listening to this and said, well, that seems easy for him, but I don't, I really don't have a lot of money. Yeah, you don't need a lot of money. That's a, that's a cool thing about real estate. So real estate is it's, it's pretty cool because it's one of the only asset classes um, as far as like business is concerned, where the bank is really going to give you money to buy 
something. Whereas in business, I can go to a bank and say, hey, I have a new business. I want to invest in like, um, I don't know, Facebook marketing. Give me like, you know, a million bucks. Like they're going to say, no, like you can't do that. What's your track record? What's this or that? They're going to ask you tons of questions. With real estate, yes, there are some pre-qualifications, but what they look at is the property more than sometimes they look at you. But do remember this was um, 2009 and 10 and eight, like at that time. And of course we had a crisis, uh, but people, but banks were still a little bit less conservative than they were now. But long story short in real estate, and that's why I'm still involved in it. The bank, you can go to a bank and say, I want to buy a million dollar property and the bank will give you 700 to $800,000 to buy it. And you only need to come up with the rest. Whereas in any other business, you cannot do that. There's the bank is not going to give you that much money. You can't, yeah. you don't have that leverage. So, um, that's what I realized. Like I don't need all that money. Um, I had uh, generated income, uh, from all the other business that I'd sold. So I had liquid, um, I showed the bank that I had that and then I needed just enough to pay off the more, the, the mortgage uh, payments and they, I was, I was, I was, I qualified for it. Um, and yeah, the bank is, banks are not as, uptight about, um, then you would resistance, you would find like venture capital or anything like that. So it's, it was actually much easier. So you, you saw the benefit of getting into real estate and who really drove you towards that? I mean, you're here in the country on your own, your family's in Europe. Mm -hmm. So where'd you get the chutzpah, the courage to, to step into this? Cause this could have been scary to the average person. Yeah. <laughs> um, sometimes I think back and I, and I think now if I were to do it, I, I would think about it like twice. But at that point, like I didn't think of it like that. I was like, well, I have, I have a business and it kind of it was successful. I just need, I was just so determined to find out a way that I just did. I, I honestly, I think I went on like a Zillow or one of those websites and I just looked, started looking at property and I just connected with a lot of brokers and I was like, show me these places. And, and this is what I'm looking for for each. It has to be in a college area. It needs to bring X amount of rent. And, um, that's, and that's pretty, pretty much how I did it through, through the internet. I remember like one night I was going on the internet, just asking for, to see a couple of listings. And one of the brokers I connected with became a real close friend of mine. And he was the one who then understood what I was looking for and then has built the business pretty much with me from, from, from the scratch. And he's still, uh, you know, we're still working together all these years later, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, when, like I, when I started, uh, like I just said, when I started this podcast is like when you don't know something and when you're kind of naive and mm -hmm. when you don't not thinking about stuff, you don't think about risks as much, but when you know more then you don't just know about the successes you can get, but you also are the risks become more known. And when the risks become more known, you also become more risk averse. And so I did not even know what could go wrong. And so I didn't really worry about it. Not, not, I'm not saying that that's the right approach, but that kind of helped me in some ways. Yeah, sometimes, yeah, people do worry too much about what can't go wrong and then they make a decision not to decide. And so now they never do anything. Right. So we appreciate that as well. Now, your bio says that you you started and sold a dozen businesses and just graduated as a lawyer. So how do you manage all these different priorities. It's, if I'm listening to this, said how, how the heck did he even do it all? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty nuts. It wasn't, it definitely wasn't, um, uh, easy in any stretch, but I, the way I did it was, um, I created systems for everything. So, um, and you'll, you'll you hear definitely a lot of entrepreneurs talk about this, but implementing it, uh, is, is another thing. Um, so systems basically meaning that I had a goal that every business that I was starting or that I was getting involved with that was already the grounds already running and I was coming in later. Um, I had to make sure that everything was as quote unquote automated as, per, as, 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 um, as you, as I could do now automation. I'm not talking about using chat bots and, 
and robots. What I'm really talking about is that I personally, as the CEO or as the, someone at the top level, I am not going to do any tasks. Um, I, because I think that where, that's where I saw a lot of entrepreneurs go wrong when they used to come to me and say, hey, like, help me out with my business. We're not really growing. We're just on the same revenue every year. And when I'm looking at what they're doing, I was like, are you they're like, well, I'm working so hard. I'm not going on vacation. I'm working all these hours. But when I look at what they're doing, an inventory of what they're actually doing, all they're doing is tasks. They're just taskmasters. They were just doing tasks every day. And those tasks are something that they shouldn't be doing. Uh, and I always have a concept that I like to fire myself all the time. So I, every month I do an inventory of all the things that I'm doing every day. And I'm like, how can I fire myself from these tasks and outsource that or delegate that to someone else? So that was a big, big part of how I was able to scale and to grow these and turn those into machines because I figured out all the tasks that were required and I would outsource uh, it as much as possible. Um, and that means hiring other people or using virtual assistants uh, and just setting up an entire efficient machine um, and not initially worrying about, oh, profits or how much you're making or all that stuff. I worried only about setting up the infrastructure and that I should never be doing any tasks. It should be outsourced as quickly as possible. And that's why when you, your first business, you were doing the bicycle deliveries, but then yep. after that, you had to scale, meaning get somebody else to do it. Now, you had to lose some margin to do that, but you could do way more business. That's, that's the most important thing. You're, you have to be willing to, you know, and, and this comes to an ego thing, too. I think a lot of, um, and, and, and this is a learning lesson for people. So when I was doing the whole biking thing, I was like, Yo, I, I know how to buy, I know the roads. I know the, I know how to pack all this stuff. I, I don't think I can trust other people to do this because like, I know how to do this best. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs fall in this. You hear, you'll hear them say this a lot. Yo, I can't find anyone who, um, who's as good as me. Like I can't find any motivated employee. Everyone's like not motivated. They don't work hard. They don't do this. And the problem is that as an entrepreneur, when it's your business, you become, your ego becomes very large. You think you're the best at that job. While that might be true, I don't know, but the problem is you don't give any, yourself the opportunity to do any bigger things because now then you're doing everything. Um, and that I had to let go of that. And my, my theory right now is if I can find someone who can do the job 60 to 65% as good as I can do it, I delegate it to that person. And that allows me, yes, I'll lose margin. And yes, um, it might not be as amazing as I do it, but it allows me to do other amazing things at a larger scale. Because what's the point mm -hmm. in serving five people and getting there in 17 and a half minutes or serving 100 people and getting there in 18 and a half minutes? You should choose the, the latter option if entrepreneurship is really what you're into. If there's a difference between being a small business owner and an entrepreneur, I think an entrepreneur is consistently thinking about how to deliver the best quality products at the largest amount of scale. Mm, awesome. Awesome. Now you actually have, and we only have about 10 minutes left. If you can believe that. Wow. <laughs> you know, where does the time go? Eh? Uh, you started a health company. Yeah. And it's called Azoth. Yes, correct. Yep. So what's the story about this and what is it? Yeah. So um, it actually all ties in perfectly together. So I'm glad that uh, we conclude, conclude with this. But while I was in law school, I remember um, going my first first semester and I was really getting my, my, my ass kicked. Like it was really difficult. And I had always taken pride in being really good at whatever I was doing, even in academics and college. While I was doing all those things, um, I was still really performing well. When I got to law school, whole different ball game. People were 10 times more serious. The competition was 10 times more fiercer and it was graded on a curve. So if you get like a 90, um, you might actually end up with a B minus and that's just how it is. So I knew I had to step up my game. Uh, so I started thinking about ways in which I could really do that. Um, and so I started thinking about 
biohacking and sleeping in a different cycle. And one of the things I really started doing, which down the line I would regret, was really getting into different types of supplements like uh, pre-workout, um, caffeinated supplements, all of that. And the problem with those supplements is that they're made for athletes who need to perform for like an hour, an hour and a half, two hours max. And then that's it. And that's where all the studies are on those supplements, energy supplements. They work for 30, 45, an hour too. But for everyday people, like I didn't only have to perform for two hours. I had to perform all day. After working out, I still had to perform. So uh, at one point, it got so bad where I was taking all these stimulants that I actually crashed. And I had a really big, uh, I was actually hospitalized and had a really bad moment where I was taking so much stuff uh, where I just could, my body couldn't handle it anymore. And I knew at the time I had to figure out a better way. So I went online and I found out these class of ingredients, which um, was kind of crazy, but I, I read like the Russians were using back in, during the space race and they were giving it to their astronauts and their scientists. And apparently what it was supposed to do was cool about them. They're supposed to bring everything back in balance. So whereas caffeine and all these uh, stimulants are exogenous sources of energy. Um, so it bring, comes into your body and it upregulates everything, serotonin, dopamine, your chemicals in your brain these class of ingredients, which are called nootropics, would actually, you would introduce it to your system and would bring everything back to balance. And that's how it would actually help benefit you. Um, and I was like, I want to get my hands on it. So I started ordering all these ingredients and raws and trying to figure out the best formula. Um, and I hang think on, that, hang on. You're, you're a law student, not a science major. What's going <laughs> on here? Yeah. So, um, I had always had a, uh, as you know, I had a passion for, for health and fitness. And I also was involved in the supplement industry since, 17, 18, like selling supplements. So I had actually gained quite a bit of knowledge uh, about it. Now, I'm not, I'm not a medical student and I didn't have a, a degree in it, uh, which is absolutely true, but I, I felt like I, I had known about where to get ingredients, what they're about, read as much as I could. And yeah, I took the step, kind of like the foray I took in real estate, the foray I took in to start my first business. I was like, I want to get my hands on these ingredients and figure out how to create the best stack for myself. And that's, I started experimenting with it uh, and I had a friend who worked at the uh, at a chem lab at, at Boston University where I went at the research lab at a really great research facility. And me and him would work on it together just for our personal use. This was not being given to anyone else. And I know we had mm. tons of tries. And I think like it was like close to over 100 tries. And I think at one point uh, we were taking it and he, uh, I, I remember we were going to the gym and this is a big dude, like 6'5", 250, and he's a big dude. And I remember we were driving to the gym, and he looks at me at one point, and he was like, Freddie, I feel so good right now. I actually feel almost emotional. And I was like, oh, man, like, would, I hope this, is, this concoction is not messing with him. Um, and he said, no, I feel so emotional because I've never, ever felt so good. And I was like, what are you feeling? And he's like, it's almost like I had the best night's sleep, and I feel so alert and so focused. Uh, it's not something I can mm. really explain. And... And I knew at that point that we had kind of hit the jackpot because that's what nootropics are supposed to do. They're not supposed to make you feel wired. They're supposed to make you feel so in the zone that like literally nothing can come in your way. So went back, actually turned the car around, didn't end up going to the gym that day. And I was like, I think this is our formula. And I started using it for myself. This was my last year of law school. And basically one or the other, the word started getting out that I had this formula because people were curious, man, you have all these businesses, you're doing real estate um, and you're in law school. Like, what are you doing? And so people found out that I was, you know, using nootropics, of course, and it wasn't the only thing, and it wasn't the, the real only reason for my success, but people asked if they could try it too. And I was like, okay, I mean, if you want to try it, you can. Um, and at some point it got to such an extent where, you know, we, I was like, I think we should turn this into a business. So then I partnered up with a manufacturer uh, 
and we went through the whole compliance process and we set up a business and now, you know, a year and a half later, we've literally sold, I don't know, 50, 60,000 bottles and we're selling every continent. So that's kind of the, the story. Well, and there's lots of people that have tried to go in these business, uh, pretty and they, and then they fail. They don't happen. So when you, and by the way, congratulations on that. Now, a couple of questions I have here. First of all, this is not new information. It's been around for years. Why, why didn't somebody else kind of grab a hold of this? Why is it just have been sitting there on the shelf and nobody else out of all the people in North America or the world really grabbed a hold of it? How, how yeah. did that happen? Yeah, no, I, um, there are a couple of companies that, that, that actually go, went to the nootropic space. Like right now, if you go on Amazon and type in nootropic, there's literally like hundreds of them. But I think at the time, it just, I don't know, it wasn't really something that people were, um, they, they had thought about. It, it wasn't something that was, um, you know, there's tons of supplements out, out there that are right now, for instance, used in, in India or in China, and they're just not popular here. But they've been, like, at any all of the um, health stuff that you're seeing right now that's coming out here, like at Whole Foods and all these places, it's all like stuff that's been around for ages and just mm -hmm. now they're becoming trendy. It's like yoga and all that stuff. It become, became trendy the last 10, 20, 30 years, but it's been around for thousands of years. So it's kind of a trend that picks up. And I know there was a movie that came out, Limitless, which really um, started the whole nootropic scene in America. Uh, but yeah. I watched that movie. That was pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. So that's really, that started, then people started thinking, oh, that's when nootropics became popular in the States. Um, really, uh, but yeah, it, this, these are, and again, the cool thing about all this stuff that I wanted to, that I'm kind of saying today too, and that kind of big takeaway is like all this stuff is already out there. I didn't invent anything. Like I didn't invent delivery. I didn't invent like biking to people's dorms. Like I didn't invent any of it. Even this new tropics were already around. So it's all there. Um, and it's all within you. So it's not something that's, I think people, one of the things you said when we started is like, I hope it's not, it doesn't kind of scare people away or intimidate them. And the answer is it shouldn't because you'll kind of notice this doesn't, it's not a genius thing. It's not like I invented something in the, in the lab or something. It's mm. literally all the stuff is already out there, you know? Well, just, and we talked off air that, you know, I'm a nutritionist and have a diploma in nutrition and genetics on the other side of this. And that we've just been certainly in North America or the developed world, we've sort of eaten ourselves to death with the processed foods and made us ourselves sicker than we've ever been in the last 50 or 75 years. Right. So we're really getting back to basics. And as a person who grew up on the dairy farm, then I have some of that agricultural background is, you know, if we go back 150 years and just get into the natural stuff, like many people are, then that's one of the things that you're doing and really helping us to kind of say, Hey, my body doesn't need to be jacked up on, I won't say any names of, you know, a drink that's got all the caffeine and sugar and all that stuff that's right. killing us. Right. No. And, that, and that's, that, that's so true. And I, and I'm so glad to see that. And I'm so glad to hear uh, a lot of health now moving away. Although I'm selling a supplement, I'm not really like, that's not the point. Like, it's not a point like, Hey, you need this. And that's how everything's going to work optimally. It's the, the concept of why nootropics are popular, why people use the product. It's like, well, it's, it's, it's just going to make whatever's already in, in your body. It's just going to make it work more optimally. So that, that's it. It doesn't actually, there's no exogenous or there's no caffeine, there's nothing. And so um, I, I'm glad that people are getting back into that because if you realize that when your own body functions the way it should, the way it's programmed to, the way it's, and it, you optimize that, that alone is enough. Like that alone will get you the, the results you're looking for. It's not that you need an exogenous source into your system. Um, and, 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 you know, that, that's, and I think that's a big learning lesson for all types of success, you know? Oh, for sure. Now, before we kind of wrap up, we've just got the last few minutes. 
is how can people get a hold of you or find out more about you? And you know, and you're doing some speaking now. You also have these health products. Being a successful entrepreneur, how could they get a hold of you? Yeah, so the best way um, to get a hold of me, if people are using, um, I know there's not a whole, there's a whole lot of people that are using, but it's still for a smaller segment. Um, if you're on Instagram, if you look me up, uh, Prady Tawari, um, you can look me up and you send me a direct message on there. Uh, if not, you can also go to www.getgetazoth.com. Um, you will see if you go to the about us section, you can email me directly from there, or you can also, um, you know, write in the, there's a chat bot that opens up and I actually get all the um, messages and it comes to my email and I go through all of them um, every night. Um, so I'm very happy. And there's a lot of people that message me through there asking questions about health or business or uh, nootropics. And I'm more than happy to, um, you know, uh, to, 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 to answer any questions um, where they can, uh, where they can find out more. Um, but also I know there's a couple of people sometimes when I do these shows that want to try out a product and I wanted to just say, if you do try it out, um, don't, don't feel the need to, you know, pay full price for it. I, I'm always like, I, I want people to try it out because it is something that you're going to spend money on. And if you're going to invest in it, um, try it out first. Um, and if you want to do that, if you go on our website, get, get azo.com, if you put in secrets of success, one word, all caps at the checkout, you'll get a massive discount. That's the discount I use personally when I order for myself or for my family or friends. Um, and it's almost a cost. And that way you can make sure you try it. And if you like it, um, you can make a decision down the line. Secrets of success. I've heard that from somewhere. Yes, yeah. I, uh, I, I, we, we made it just. For, I made it just for the show. So, of course, of yeah, course, yeah. you did. So that's well, that's great. Now, you know, we're getting close to the end. It's just been delightful. And by the way, congratulations. I always love to have young entrepreneurs who have been successful that encourage others. And so, congratulations on all of that. And also staying grounded and centered and not get being full of yourself because those are the last people that I want to have on the show as well. But, Preddy, what would you say to people listening, young and older, as far as sort of two or three things that you really have embraced, even at your young age, that are, I'll call it foundational to your success, that yeah. you have maybe not shared already? Yeah, I think one of the big things um, is – to not be afraid of being small when you start out. I think that's really important. I think a lot of us, when we start out, we look at our competitors or we look at other people and we say, man, those people are giants. Like, look at all these businesses that are already so far ahead. Look at, I'm going to the gym and I look at all these people that are already so fit and all that stuff. And, um, and I will, I'm here to tell people that's true. Like, you cannot do what the bigger players are doing, like you'll get eaten alive. So don't follow that path. And I see a lot of businesses, they do that. They're like, well, that business is having a huge expo at that, that, that expo and I, they're paying 200,000 to be there. So let me raise $200,000 to get a loan and also be at that expo and let me try to beat them at their game. That's, a, that's not the right thing. For me, it's always been, well, I can't, I can't do what the big guys are doing but the big guys can do what I'm doing either. And that's my strength. So I'm not going to play their game. I'll play my game. And one of the things that I talked about on this episode was the reason why I'm able, able to scale, like for instance, as is my nootropic company. When I started out, I was writing handwritten notes to every single customer, all of them. And everyone who ordered, I would follow up with them, call them, ask them how they're doing. Bigger companies, their owners, cannot call every customer because they got millions of them. I only had 10 or 20 or 100 in the beginning. And you can say, oh, I only got 10 customers. Whereas I said, okay, I get 
10 customers, but I'm going to make their life amazing. I'm going to provide so much value to those 10 and work my way up. So I mm -hmm. did things that I could do and I optimized only that. I did not raise crazy amounts of capital. I didn't raise, uh, I didn't go and try to chase the bigger companies. I've never done that. You should always play your game. Look at what your strengths are and play your game. And that's the way um, to really dominate. That's the first thing. And the second thing I talk about a lot is just being competent at small things. You don't, you know, sometimes you know, you're listening to the secrets of success. And when you think about success, we think about, you know, Tony Robbins and Gary Vee and all these guys, these large entrepreneurs with all this like wealth and all of that. And that's great. So when you're thinking that you want to start, you might think you have to do something big right away. That's not true. Um, actually it's something called compounded interest that, you know, guys like Warren Buffett talk about a lot. That's really true, which is doing small things, right? Um, on a daily basis that leads to bigger break breakthroughs down the line. When I started my first business, all I wanted to do was to basically deliver protein in like 19 minutes. That's all I cared about. And I was like, how can I deliver it to my friends faster? I wasn't thinking about oh, I, I have to be the biggest player in the field or I have to make you know, tens of millions of dollars. That was not the case. But down the line, what happened, because I was doing that so well, then that scaled and other people saw that I was competent at doing that, that I had delivered my order to 100 people. And that was enough to get the word out and for other businesses to come to me to ask to invest in their business. And that allowed me to scale. So being competent at smaller things that you do, it could be something people say, well, how should I start? I was like, man, what are you doing when no one's watching? What are the things you're doing? And that means, are you making your bed in the morning? Are you going to the gym? If you go to the gym two days a week, go three days. Just do that for like weeks and that stuff will be the foundational level things. Because when you're competent at those things, then the bigger things come. You don't need big wins right away. Um, and, mm. and it doesn't mean that you're gonna be a small player all your life. What it means is that you're setting the foundation to become a bigger player by doing small things in, in a competent manner. So those are the two things I've always, kept close to my heart and I, and I always uh, believe in when I invest in smaller companies, they want to do all this X, Y, Z and spend all their money and raise so much capital. And I'm like, well, what are you guys good at? And they're like, well, we're good at, I don't know, making videos on Instagram. So it's like, do that, double down on that. That's your skill, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, Preddy, thank you very much for that and that encouragement around that. And for everybody listening too, just, you know, go find out more. We'll make sure in the show notes, all the links that Freddie was talking about are there for you. And of course, you've got this great Instagram following of 15,000 nearly. And so congratulations on that as well. And so all the best in what you're doing there, Freddie. And thanks again for being on the show. Ken, it was such a pleasure. And thanks so much for giving me the platform to, to share all of this uh, with your audience. It's an absolute Freddie. pleasure. And so thank you so much. You're welcome. Well, SOS listeners, Freddie really has shared his story, his journey. And you know what? Uh, he's just 28. Hello. Like, get going, just just do something. And I loved what he was sharing at the very end. And it's the D word, and not everybody likes it. It's called discipline. Doing those things day in and day out, the little things that add up together so that we can have success in life. And so just start setting up the structure, setting up the processes. Go back to the show and listen to the story over and over and some of the different components there so that you can embrace and insert some of the thoughts that Preddy has shared with you. Thank you as always for spending your most valuable commodity, your time with us. Please share, pass it on, leave some positive comments on whatever platform you're listening on. Thank you for listening to Secrets of Success. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. 
Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.